Yo, what's happening, everybody? My name is Anthony Carrenti, and thank you, as always, for checking out another episode of The Dynasty Drive. I appreciate all of the support, as always. Apologies, apologies about the lack of an episode next week, but we are back with another episode and have a lot I want to talk about. It's uh, I'm recording this Thursday night, October 20th. Thursday Night Football is on right now. Um, before we get into it, if you're new to the podcast here, or if you're new to any of my content, you can follow me on Twitter at Dynasty Drive. Typically, there's new episodes of this podcast once a week on Fridays. Uh, you can follow the show on Instagram at the Dynasty Drive. You can like the show on Facebook, and you can gain access to uh, not only my Dynasty rankings, but Consensus Dynasty rankings, Consensus, consensus Devi rankings, Rookie rankings, and a whole lot more by becoming a patron of the Rookie Big Board. So if you're not familiar, head on over to patreon.com slash rookie big board and get signed up for as little as three bucks a month and gain access to a ton of awesome content from not uh, not just myself, but plenty of, very, uh, plenty of other very smart folks as well who can help you in your quest to fantasy football championships. So today, Thursday, October 20th, had no uh, plans on starting with this, but... It's out there now. I got a little in the weeds on Twitter about it earlier, but it needs to be talked about. New York Jets wide receiver Elijah Moore has requested a trade from the team. So let's start by saying that uh, I've, I don't think I've ever hid or like beat around the bush with the fact that I'm a Jets fan. Um, on this podcast or anywhere that I've appeared for guest spots or anything like that. So I think that provides you know, a little bit of a unique perspective on the situation, but I want to talk about the Elijah Moore situation and maybe what it means from a football perspective, more so than just dialing it into a fantasy perspective. Let's start there because I think this is a perfect instance of where us as fantasy football players or fantasy football content creators or fantasy football analysts or fantasy football fans are having a difficult time separating uh, the fantasy perspective from the real-life NFL or the real-life football perspective of what this all means. So Elijah Moore requests a trade coming off of the Jets' victory against the Green Bay Packers in which he didn't receive a single target. And I get that. Who wouldn't want to be targeted uh, and be a t part of you know helping your team win? But the facts are that the New York Jets are in the middle of their best stretch in recent memory. They're 4-2. and two, They're winning games on the back of a, a punishing run game and you know limiting mistakes and playing suffocating defense and a lot of that isn't great uh, outside of the run game and Brees Hall and you know sprinkling in a little bit of Michael Carter for fantasy football and I think a lot of people are having a tough time coming to grips with you know you spent premium assets on a player like Elijah Moore so of course you want him hyper targeted who wouldn't and if you're Elijah Moore the player of course you want him hyper targeted uh, and I saw a lot of this kind of banter on Twitter, like immediately following this Elijah Moore request to trade where it's like, oh yeah, the Chargers, um, Elijah Moore would look great with Justin Herbert. The Chargers should send a third round pick. Or, oh yeah, the Bears should send a second round pick. Look, the New York Jets are in no position to be in a rush to trade Elijah Moore for anything less than a gross overpay. And, you know, what is that exactly? Is that a first plus? Is that, you know, a second that could become a first? Is that a second plus? Regardless of what the actual package looks like, will the Jets answer the phone? You know, if somebody calls and says they're interested in Elijah Moore, sure, I don't think Joe Douglas is hanging up the phone on anybody. 
but I think it would be negligent to the franchise for a player who's young, dynamic, and at minimum under team control for an additional two seasons following the remainder of this season, you're not trading that player away for pennies. Like, it's just not happening. I have a very hard time believing that they would ever trade him for less than or equal to what their initial investment in him was, which was an early second-round pick. And I've seen it said, like, oh, well, then his trade value is just going to go down. Well, I think then you're betting on Elijah Moore never suiting up for the uh, for the New York Jets ever again, which seems unlikely, right? Like, could it happen? Sure. But I just think when that scenario gets floated around, we don't see that happen very, very often. Um, like, I joked on Twitter earlier, I'm old enough to remember when Debo Samuel was never going to play for the 49ers again. And that's not to say Elijah Moore and Debo Samuel are the same player. But just that these things can be smoothed over, I think, more often than not. And uh, like it or not, the Jets don't have to accommodate him. Uh, as bad as that sounds, I know everybody wants to be pro player, and that's fine. I think it's a little more difficult to be pro player when um, the player is making these demands coming off of a team that's 4-2 and two that nobody picked to be 4-2 and two and winning games. And, you know, I get it. You want targets. You want catches and everything like that. And uh, the other point a lot of people keep pointing to is he's fifth on the team in targets he's fifth on the team in targets how do you how do you let that happen and yeah that's true he is fifth on the team in targets but I think the context that gets lost in that point is he's fifth on the team in targets with 29 targets Corey Davis is second on the team in targets with 33 I mean it's four targets difference it's not like there's a huge disparity between second on the team in targets and fifth on the team in targets Garrett Wilson clearly pacing the group right, with 48 targets on the season. But it's just, I don't know. I I have a hard time, and look, I'm not trying to say that the Jets are the smartest franchise in history or the Jets never do anything um, to kind of put the player in a bad situation. And the Jets can be doing more with Elijah Moore instead of just playing him as an outside wide receiver and, you know, sending him on go routes. Let, get him in the slot. Get him some of these, you know, creative touches that you know that a player like him can thrive with. But, I mean, come on. I, I think it's foolish, and I think it's a lot of people, you know, serving their own agenda to hope this ends up in a direction where they could say, oh, man, the Jets did it again. They're so foolish. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't think that's it. You know, I have a lot of Elijah Moore shares. I, too, wish they were thriving in a way that could help my fantasy teams. Um, and the Jets could do a little bit more to get him involved in their game plan. But I don't think they've done anything harmful or hurtful or wrong to the player and I also don't think he's a player that will be traded right away I, I just don't like maybe if a team wants to offer a haul but there's no reason that we should expect them to deal it deal him immediately for anything less than what they view as an undeniable package of assets it would be foolish and negligent to the franchise to do so especially with a young quarterback and I know that you know Twitter can get its jokes off about you know, Zach Wilson and the Jets don't trust Zach Wilson. And, you know, that's why Elijah Moore hasn't been involved because the Jets don't trust Zach Wilson. The Jets are punching people in the face with their running game. Like the the Packers game where everybody wants to po point to, uh, you know, Elijah Moore didn't receive a target. The Jets ran right at him in the second half and they couldn't stop it. They <laughs> The Packers could not stop it. So from an NFL production perspective, if you're a coach in the NFL and the opposing defense can't stop you running the ball right down their throat, why would you start throwing the ball? <laughs> like, that's that's foolish. So I get it. it easy target. You know, you got to keep stacking wins to prove that you don't deserve it. But 
just kind of silly to me. I, I think this probably all gets smoothed over eventually. I hope so. Is there a chance he gets traded? Sure. But, you know, I'd, I'd bet my chips on, you know, uh, it works itself out at some point rather than he's dealt in the next day or so. And I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'll own it. That's <laughs> I always own it when I'm wrong. But uh, it would be a little bit of a shock to me. So that's the starting point. Didn't plan on starting this podcast off with, you know, eight or nine or ten minutes on Elijah Moore. But the news came down right before I wanted to start recording it. So I felt important to touch on it. Going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And what I want to get into is some kind of player position groups to monitor from a contract perspective and not necessarily position groups, but just players or player position groups on specific teams that have interesting contract scenarios coming up and what that can mean for uh, these specific players, fantasy and dynasty value moving forward and how we should approach it in the meantime. So give just one second and we'll be right back to talk about that. All right, we're back. Got some contract situations to monitor for fantasy football, for dynasty fantasy football. And I think that's one thing that sometimes flies under the radar. You know, you want to follow the money in free agency. Like when you see a team pay a player and it's clear they're going to be a focal point, obviously you want to follow the money in that respect. We also want to follow the money in terms of when it's easy for teams to move on from that money, cut their losses, maybe spend it in a different way, or just players that, uh, you know, maybe get valued in one way before they hit free agency and then we can see them get paid kind of a la Christian Kirk from this past offseason. So where I have to start with is the Dallas Cowboys backfield. Look, Zeke, Ezekiel Elliott technically hits unrestricted free agency in 2027 at the age of 32, which is crazy. But the contract gets much easier to move on from following the 2022 season. 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, they all have they all had crazy like astronomical dead cap figures, 30 million plus. Impossible to move on from unless you want to just take your medicine by any means necessary and, you know, get on with it. Following the 2022 season, that dead cap number is 11.8 million. So it's still a big hit, a substantial hit, but much more palatable to move on from than 30 million plus, right? Like that's crazy. A crazy pill to swallow 12 million dollars still doesn't feel good to absorb but uh or to pay somebody to to account for to not play for your team but it's a little bit easier to justify to further complicate matters of the backfield as a whole as tony pollard is heading to unrestricted free agency following the 2022 season now for the second year in a row pollard looks like the more explosive more efficient back for the Cowboys. He's averaging a full yard per carry more than Zeke currently, has twice as many targets. He's got 47 yards from scrimmage less than Zeke, despite having about half as many rushing attempts. Pollard is 10th in the league in yards per touch, and he's a player that the Cowboys should undeniably be finding a way to scheme more touches for. Same thing we said last year, saying it again. Pollard should touch the ball more. The uncertainty for me kind of lies with will Tony Pollard leave in free agency and be paid as a team's top running back option? That's the first part. Will a team view Tony Pollard from a financial perspective the way that, you know, say the Dolphins viewed Chase Edmonds this past season? And it hasn't worked out there really, but 
will Pollard get paid to be quote unquote the guy in a team's backfield after this 2022 season? I mean, the explosiveness is there. The efficiency is there. I have a hard time believing a team wouldn't be interested in what we've seen over the last few years from Tony Pollard. The second part is, can Dallas be swayed toward moving on from Zeke and handing the reins over to Tony Pollard? Whether that be, you know, you find a team who wants to trade for Zeke, I think that's unlikely. Um, the whole That whole scenario seems especially unlikely, given, you know, Jerry Jones and the Cowboys front office kind of affinity for Zeke over the past uh, however many years since he's been there. But I do feel like this could be our last solid buy window for contending or close to contending teams for Pollard because I think he's going to still continue to return very good value down the stretch of this season. And I think there's a chance that he gets paid to be a team's focal point of their backfield in unrestricted free agency a year from now. Seems highly unlikely the Cowboys would franchise a running back, especially with somebody with so much money tied up in them and Zeke. So I think you could pencil in Pollard leaving and finding, you know, hopefully more playing time ahead of him someplace else. And I'd rather, if I don't have him already on my roster, try and acquire him now before he gets paid to be the focal point of a team's backfield in free agency after the end of the 2022 season. So Cowboys backfield, first situation that I'm very interested to see how it all shakes out from a financial and contract perspective. If I had to bet now, I'd bet Zeke is still there next year. If Tony Pollard leaves in free agency, Tony Pollard is the more valuable of these two backs a season from now. But I believe Tony Pollard to be the better running back currently on the Dallas Cowboys, uh, despite them you know, sticking with Zeke still in the short term as well. The second thing I'm very interested to see how it shakes out, also running back position, is what is Saquon Barkley's future? Saquon Barkley is back like all the way back from injury looks every bit the dynamic player we grew to expect him to be through his college career his early professional career pre all the injuries he looks terrific like the Saquon Barkley of old he is second in the NFL in rushing yards first in the NFL in attempts tied for first in the NFL for 40 plus yard runs tied for second in the NFL for 20 20 plus yard runs first in yards created uh, per playerprofiler.com that's yards above and beyond what's blocked for them. He's dominant. He's been great. He's been everything you wanted him to be when he entered the NFL. But what's the future? Do the Giants franchise tag him? Can they agree on a long-term extension? Which direction will they opt to go? Because the Giants have been playing very good football. He's been the linchpin of that. It almost feels like they can't move on from it. But there's always that lingering feeling, I think, from an NFL team and from fantasy players' perspective that second contract running backs are dicey, right? You don't want to get involved there. It feels like it doesn't work out a lot. But I also think it's interesting that while we're all quick to want to move on from an aging running back and recoup draft capital and draft the next great young running back, don't disagree with any of those takes at all. But I think it's interesting we're still seeing some high-level players perform despite you know kind of 26 27 being that age group where or that age range where people start getting iffy about the running backs austin eckler nick chubb christian mccaffrey derrick henry leonard fournette all players 26 or older and chubb will be 27 in december so he'll be 27 this season all currently running back ones for fantasy all in the top 12 
So it's like, yeah, I know that we're trying to get younger and we're trying to build sustained success, but the proof's in the pudding, right? They're still performing. And a lot of them were not valued as highly as they probably should have been for contending teams coming into the season. I think it's easy to look to pivot off aging running backs in favor of draft picks and youth in dynasty, especially, but on rosters where you're looking to win, it's imperative to not get swept up by age entirely. Saquon Barkley is a top five dynasty running back moving forward. There's an argument for hire. Now that he's back to full health, even with lingering contract uncertainty, even without knowing today if he'll be on the New York Giants or elsewhere uh, in 2023, Saquon Barkley's a top five dynasty running back. He just is. And people, some people will point to you know injury concerns still, whatever, but he's back. I'd pay the price to get him. Uh, if I needed a running back desperately enough. There's just too many other players that also have lingering question marks to keep Saquon out of the top five for me. So somebody I still view as an elite option at running back. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with the contract. If I had to bet, I bet he's still a New York Giant next year. I think they probably figure out a deal. Uh, Worst case scenario, I wouldn't be shocked if they opt to franchise him and figure it out by the deadline. But I think that he's been so integral to what they've done this season and their early success that I'd kind of be shocked that they moved off of him. And the last one that I want to bring up on this episode, and I'm sure we could find some more of these as the season rolls on and the offseason approaches, is will Jacoby Myers be paid as a wide receiver one this offseason? So like I said at the top of this segment earlier this offseason, we saw the Jacksonville Jaguars pay Christian, uh, Christian Kirk to be the focal point of their receiving group met with plenty of laughs and criticism and written off as the Jags overpaying for a player who never eclipsed a thousand yards receiving in a single season. Um, I being one of them, I laughed at the contract, but Kirk is now on pace for, you know, career year with the Jags. And it's left me wondering, can Jacoby Myers be the next player in store for a similar fate? Jacoby Myers, he's missed a couple games so far this season, but he's averaging 80 receiving yards per game in the four games he's appeared in. His yards per reception is the highest it's been since his rookie year in 2019. And he's already put a touchdown on the board after kind of infamously uh, being held out of the end zone in both 2019 and 2020 before scoring a couple times a season ago. Jacoby Myers does not get the respect he really deserves, I think, from a pure talent perspective. If you're ever out there comparing your player values against something like uh, keep trade cut, which if you're unfamiliar, you know, trade calculator rankings based off uh, kind of customer input. The that site currently values Jacoby Myers equivalent to a mid second round pick. So for a player who has improved year over year, has looked terrific in the games he's been healthy in in 2022, and is headed for unrestricted free agency, a mid second round pick is easily worth it for me. It's entirely plausible that the Patriots allow Jacoby Myers to walk in free agency. They just drafted Taquan Thornton. Maybe they move, look to move on and address uh, that need in another way. And Myers could in turn be paid as one of the top pass-catching options on the market in a free agency class that right now looks pretty thin at wide receiver. Things could change, but it could realistically end up being where he's the one of the best options available on the market. And some people will scoff at it initially, but I think it's mostly just due to not really putting the respect on the player production that he deserves especially this season. I think he's looked the best he has in his uh, his young NFL career, and he certainly looks like a player who deserves to every bit be paid his worth on the open market. So similar, uh, not similar to the other ones, but 
prediction wise, if I had to bet right now, I'd bet on Jacoby Myers getting paid in free agency, leaving the Patriots and, you know, being paid to be a team's focal point of their pass catching group, kind of like we saw with Christian Kirk and the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, in this past offseason ahead of the 2022 season. So there you go. A couple contract scenarios to watch and monitor over the remainder of this year, see how they shake out. Dallas Cowboys backfield, Saquon Barkley's future, Jacoby Myers' future. I think all all interesting, all bear watching, and uh, we'll see how they shake out at the end of the season. And I'm sure we'll find more of these to talk about as the season rolls on. But in the meantime, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Dynasty Drive. I appreciate all of the support as always. We'll probably get back to doing some early 2023 rookie talk next week. College football is barreling ahead. There's plenty of players to talk about. So maybe we'll talk about some of the 2023 2023 wide receiver class that's maybe not quite lived up to some of the expectations um, that we hoped early on. But let's talk some 2023 wide receivers next week. I look forward to talking to you guys then, and we'll talk to you later.